Okay, you're listening to the Tasty Spread Podcast. I'm your host, Dino DeCespedes, and I'm joined by my co-host, Mr. Grant Engel. What is up, man? You know, buddy, we've had a rough stretch this last, uh, we'll call it week plus, because I don't want to get into the specifics, but I can feel the tide turning. We're going to be, this is the comeback trail. It starts tonight. I love it. Yeah, we've got a... We've got quite a lot of distance to trail back the other way and, you know, get back to at least where we started (laughs) five months ago. But, um, you know, there's still time and I think the vibes are good. We're getting to, I think, the very finish line of the Premier League season and I guess the end of the NBA season. And I think we're just as gassed as the Lakers were. So Legs are heavy, my man, right now. That's okay. We'll get there, though. We will get there. Let's kick things off. Um, We can start. In the Eastern Conference, in the National Basketball Association, where my Miami Heat look <laughs> to be in the midst of, uh, you know, maybe an all-time choke job. Maybe that's a little unfair, considering they're they're uh, also teetering on maybe being one of the best eight seeds we've ever seen. So, I mean, my mind's all jumbled up. I'm not really sure what to think. Where where where, sh- where should I where should I be? How should I be feeling right now? Um, you as an objective kind of friend and observer. I mean, would you rather be down two, three or up three, two? I try to, I try to look at things like that. Like, mm-hmm. uh, I, I, I don't want everybody, uh, to get jumpy. It's like, you just put your hands up to look at everybody like, okay, everybody remain calm. Uh, we we got a game at home. We're up three, two. Are we, are we really going to lose four games in a row? with Eric Spolster as a head coach and Jimmy Butler as the best player. I remain unconvinced that the Celtics are not frauds. Uh, and I believe that good things are going to happen for your heat. And I'm holding on to that. Okay. That makes me feel a little better. The one piece that I keep holding on to speaking of holding on at the end of game five, where, you know, Spo just makes a decision. Okay. We've been down by 19 points for the last 28 minutes of game time. Um, either 19 or 18 or 17, one of those three. Um, but he decides to pull um, Butler and Bam um, and just kind of like let, let the bench guys play out the rest of the string. And I think kind of get his guys ready for game six um, when he knows that um, a, a one Gabe Vincent could be back, who's currently listed as questionable, and a one Tyler Hero could be back who's listed currently as a game time decision for game six. So could be a little gamesmanship. I think once they kind of figured out that, um, you know, Boston was going to come out very professional showing play 48 minutes of basketball, you know, establish a lead and basically just kind of like keep their foot on that lead for pretty much the entire game. Although they did, they did make it close and flirt with that minus eight and a half. That probably gave you some, some sweats at the end. They did what they needed to do, and I think the Heat might have saved a little bit extra for Game Six. We'll see. I feel like that's one of those things. Without, and I love that you brought this up because it, it got the wheels spinning in my head. I feel like that's one of those things that, like a championship caliber coach, that the guy who I think, and I'll just say, uh, despite our less than sterling gambling record these past couple of weeks, pat on the back <laughs> for us who have never wavered at any point, always saying. Eric Spolster is the best coach in the league. And I feel like that has been like kind of popular in the discourse. Like when, especially when they went up three, Oh, people were like, man, 
it's really Eric Spolster really is the best coach in the league. He's like, yeah, we we knew for a while. Um, but I think that's one of those moves that like if you're the best coach in the league, you're just like, okay, man, I'm not doing the down 17 to 19 dance all night. Just get Jimmy some rest. Um, what he played a little less than 34 minutes. Um, I know it might sound like hair splitting, but you know the Celtics kept Tatum on the floor for 41 minutes. They kept Jalen Brown on mm. the floor for 37 minutes. Uh, Derek White played 37 minutes. Like uh, Missoula was like, nah, let's just mash down the gas so we don't have another hideous uh, giveaway here at the end. The the thing that struck me about Boston's performance in um, Game Five was the balance. It was the first time those four guys had gone for 20-plus points in the same game, Jalen Brown, Tatum, Smart, and Derek White. Um, And you could really kind of feel that in the game. And I think that's what we had been talking about in the last show also with Tatum and just kind of facilitating and playmaking. Now he's just doing so much more of that. Um, I think, what what did he have? I think it was 11 assists in five, which is, you know, not really what we're used to seeing from Tatum, but um, very kind of like indicative of, maybe him taking a potential jump and just kind of understanding that like, that's the best way that he's going to be able to affect the game. You know, it's not really with basically, you know, step back with like six on the shot clock, every possession, like there's, there's a time and place for that. But I mean, I think at, at this, at this level, um, they, the game plans need to be a little smarter. Buddy, I was dying for more of those step backs. I was like, please, can we force, can we force Jason Tatum into some step backs, please? And it felt like, it felt like Derek White and Marcus Smart combined to go 25 of 25 from three-point range. And I was just like, oh, my God, make it stop. Um, I believe the official numbers, that although it felt that way, Derek White goes six, six for eight and Marcus Smart goes four for six, which might as well be 20 for 20 at that point from three. I know Derek White is a good shooter, but, like, God, it was just brutal to watch him bury everything. Yeah, and I think he was he was a little bit more locked in, too, defensively. So, yeah. um you know, I'm not the first to point it out that like, you know, when when the shots are falling, you know, they just lock in not only defensively, but just 50-50 balls and everything that takes, you know, uh, that falls under the effort category. Um, they seem to kind of just elevate a little bit off of um, their normal baseline. Yeah. But I, uh, even though they they have looked really great, um, it still feels kind of front runnery, you know, and and I don't think you can count on Definitely not all four of those guys. You know, you can count on Tatum, so let's let's kind of put him off to the side. But Brown's been shaky. Derek White, Marcus Smart, Horford's been, you know, he, his role's been a little bit diminished from where it was the last couple of years. Yeah. I think maybe making some space for Robert Williams. Um, and I'd be interested to see those guys. I know they've had, you know, big-time playoff experience. This feels like a little bit of a different level, you know, because, you know, it's a team that you've beaten twice. Now you've got to go on the road and win the hard one, right? The game six on the road. I don't know. The odds on this one, I was a little bit surprised. So the Heat are plus 125 at home. Um, I, 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 can't, I can't really make a bet just because I'm, I'm all, again, I'm all, I find myself all tangled up again in a series, yeah. uh, bets wise. And um, if you could pardon me, I want to do a quick aside, basically, quick lesson in hedging. Please. So if you recall, I had the Nuggets in five. They were up 3-0. I'm like, okay, let's take the Nuggets in game four. I think they were plus 130. Uh, and I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm going to win this one, or they're going to win in five. Lakers are not going to win two in a row. 
That was a good hedge. Now, <laughs> on the other side, I've got the Heat in seven, right? That was my pick before the series. Yeah. The Heat are up 3-0, right? So the only way Boston can win is if they win in seven. So I basically needed to, <laughs> to bet Boston in the series. I think they were like plus 1,000. Um, and at that point, I would have had both angles covered, both the Heat in seven at plus 1,100 and essentially Boston in seven at plus 1,000 range. Um, and then I have the Heat to win the series. So I would have literally had every single angle covered had I gotten on that hedge after game three. So th- for those listening at home, that's a quick lesson in hedging. Make sure you're checking your options um, after you've taken a nice future um, and you've made some progress on it. Just take a quick look, see, and see if there's anything that you can do. <laughs> save, save, save yourself a little cash. This is this is a learning podcast because while we love sports, while we will you know tend to think about it you know pretty deeply in our spare time, um, you know you, you're not you never stop learning. You, you blew my mind with this. Yeah, that's incredible. I would have you know I would have not considered that, and now looking back on it, it seems like that would have been the right move to make. Uh, but you know what? Now we now we know for next time. Yeah, I think I think instead what I did was take the heat at Celtics alternate line minus seventeen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, that is a that is a lesson for sure. Yeah, slightly riskier play, but <laughs> hey, <laughs> I love it. Anyway, so uh, game six coming up. What do you expect? Yeah, man. I think I I didn't mean to just kind of like give it away up top, but like I just. How I just can't see the Heat losing four games in a row, and this is kind of where I am. Like I am obviously not uh, leveraged in this. I mean, full disclosure: my my series bet was Heat plus two and a half. Boom, cashed, delicious. But that was only like minus like one thirty or something. So not insane value, but like I felt like I knew it would be close. But then I had Celtics in six, so that went out the window in relative uh, short order. Uh, The Heat are plus 125, as you mentioned, to win tomorrow. They're minus 140 to win the series, and uh, they are now sitting at plus 550 to win in seven. So I'm like looking at these numbers and I'm, you know, my head is spinning. I'm doing like the, the confused woman uh, photo that people put on Twitter when I'm trying to do math and I'm an English person, just like, oh, I don't know what the, uh, how the fuck to do any math. Um, I just think the heater at home, you have Eric Spolster. So, I mean, like, obviously Spolster is thinking at, <laughs> about this on like a million levels deeper than, than we are, but. You know, Spolster is considered like, okay, so Tatum's going to try to playmate. So what do we do to put some pressure on him there? And he'll draw up some stuff to kind of say, okay, throw some passes, Jason, because you might do the thing where you start giving the ball back to us. And then we start running back. And Jimmy's getting and ones or Bam's getting and ones. And everybody's going crazy. Um, By the way, screw all the Boston Celtics fans um, doing the White Stripes song. Uh, Seven Nation Army, pardon me. I don't know why I blanked on Seven Nation Army there for a minute. It's only one of the most famous songs ever made. Um, <laughs> screw them doing Seven Nation Army in their sarcastic Northeasterner way. Um, but I, I could just see the heat just coming out and being like, okay, enough is enough. I love it when Spolstra says, we had a professional performance tonight <laughs> in his very Spolstra way. Um, and I just think they go out there and they 
they do the thing and they win. So I'm just going to take them plus 125 on the money line to win because I think it's just a it's a game that Jimmy Butler wins for you at home. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think I think we're going to see some uh, some new wrinkles uh, in this one. And I think you know you, it's it's so funny you mentioned you don't see the Heat losing four in a row. I, I had a different view on it where I don't see Boston winning four in a row. <laughs> That's a good point too, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like. You know, and you see like White, he's like bombing these threes. He hits the one at the end of the quarter from like 30-something feet. You know, Smart's just shooting with confidence and, you know, everything looks awesome. And I just don't think, you know, and it could also be in game seven, right? So I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that if it goes seven, you know, the Celtics are going to win. You know, it's really tough to be the team four times in a row. And I think that's the part that I don't see happening. I don't see the Celtics going into Miami, you know, um, against like, you know, we might not have like the best crowds, but we get pretty nasty. Oh yeah. Like, so, so I think we're right up there with like, you know, maybe like a notch below the Philly crowd, um, you know, in, in terms of like how ugly it could get in there. And um, that's what, that's the kind of game that I think I expect. And then I think it'd be interesting to see, you know, what does, what does Rob Williams do? You know, what is Missoula doing? You know, what's Smart doing? What's White doing? Jalen Brown, you know, who again, who's had his moments, his ups and downs. And I think they got their two wins. They had their great showing at home. The Boston Celtics did. Um, and I think this just might be where they kind of run out of gas here. Yeah, I'm with it. Maybe not run out of gas, but maybe like run out of ideas. I think that's more of what I'm expecting. That's a good way to put it. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So we both like the heat. Um, I'm not taking them. I'm not sure. Are, are you... Are you going in on that one plus one twenty five? I mean, you you got enough uh, on the heat, so yeah, I'm taking them plus one twenty five. Love it. All right, so then we are both rooting for the heat tomorrow. I'm in that tough position where uh, thinking about that plus eleven hundred game seven, where I'm like, eh, part. I think ten percent of my brain's like, eh, it's not the worst thing if we go seven. You know, I think you know I'm still talking myself into that one being live, but I'd love to see them end the series tomorrow night at home. Um, can I ask you the math question? Like, because I that plus five fifty for the Heat to win in seven. Like, I know it, it obviously immediately goes away after the game tomorrow. Like, am I just putting too much on the Heat if I'm still riding with my? I don't see them losing four in a row. Should I just do a sprinkle on the plus five fifty right now? Like that. That's kind of I've been kicking that idea around in my head. But again, back to this being a learning podcast. You know, if I just do a half unit on the 550, I mean, that's still pretty awesome value. And I'm like pr- protecting myself if they lose game six. But I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, I think I think the math is roughly you would. It's kind of like betting the heat on the money line and then the heat being like plus 250 or plus 275 in game seven. Yeah. So it's kind of like just doing that double bet in one. Um future right because those are the two outcomes that you would need yeah and it's just been it's just been like uh in the back of my mind so let me just lock it in i'm gonna sprinkle a half unit on the on the plus 550 to to protect myself in case they lose game six but i just again i will not i will not allow i don't want to live in a world where miami a city that is culturally intellectually and morally superior to a crap hole like Boston. 
I will not allow myself to live in a world where that city loses to that other city four times in a row. Yeah, not happening. Not happening. Love it. Um, and I hate to be this guy, but you can always, <laughs> you know, hedge back the other way. <laughs> Game seven, because you, you'll be holding a plus 550. Um, so, hey, not, I, you, we've got options, which is, you know, what we all what we always want in life. I love it. All right. So wanted to kind of like scoot out west just to kind of like talk a little bit about, um, as Stephen A. Smith would put it, Nikola Jokic and them boys. <laughs> um, quick kind of MVP piece. I mean, like there is like legit people out there. I'm just going to you know call one out by name, Bill Simmons. Who are like happily, gladly saying, "Okay, you know, I didn't vote Jokic MVP, you know, MVP this year because I just couldn't see him being a three-time MVP and what that would mean for history." Blah blah yada yada yada. And to me, this is like the biggest kind of bullshit argument that I think there could be. You know, like I, I think for as long as I can remember, people have been high and mighty about, "Okay, the MVP is not for the best player in the league; it's like kind of the most valuable one in season." Winning, yada yada, games played, you know, whatever impact on the game. Yada. And I'm not saying that Jokic should have won this year, you know. And I think we both kind of felt like Embiid was the guy. Um, but for that to be the reason why, okay, this is my justification for voting Embiid and not Jokic. And now we're really seeing that this is the dude, you know. It's like like he could have he could have just done whatever he wanted for the end of the season. He didn't even play that one game against Embiid, you know, just to kind of like turn the volume down on it. Um, and now he's in the, and they've just really just breezed their way into the finals, you know, uh, and they were the best team in out West all season long. So I think it's just such a disservice, you know, to have this be literally like on record, like these kind of basketball minds being like, yeah, this is why I made my pick this way. Total bullshit. I mean, I think, we could very well see Jokic holding both of the trophies at the end of the season, the ones that matter, you know, the Larry O'Brien and the finals MVP. Um, and I think that'll, that'll kind of maybe be a little bit of a, you know, kind of like vindication, but still, we'll still kind of have this foul kind of like MVP, you know, it, it seems like we always, we could never quite get it right. Yeah. I, th- I think that's a really good way to say it. Um, I will just allow me to argue uh, Nikola Jokic held a, a third trophy that is valuable, and that is the Magic Johnson Western <laughs> Conference MVP trophy because it won me one of the very few bets that I've won in the, in the past uh, couple weeks. So I was very excited because there was some time where I was like, fuck, Jamal Murray's going to win this. <laughs> and I'm not going to win a bet ever again. Um, I will say, and so I, uh, as I say many times, uh, obviously I work in organized labor and one of the things when people start to say, well, devil's advocate, I want to choke them to death because mm-hmm. the devil does not need advocates. So let me just say Amen. like, <laughs> like Bill Simmons and I've heard like other writers give that, give that same reason. Like, oh, well, three straight MVPs, like who the three straight MVP guys are like, it's, I think Bird was the last one. Um, a Bill Russell was one and I can't remember uh, the third might have been Jordan. And so I think the argument they're making there is, you know, before a guy gets that absolute, like, historic honor of three in a row, 
uh, the other guys have have won a title before. They're like proving their value, which I'm kind of with you. Where I'm like, eh, like were you the best? Were you the most valuable player that regular season? That that is kind of the criteria for the award. And if if you're looking at it from like Bill Simmons' perspective, I almost wonder if like you know he literally wrote a book called The Book of Basketball, and like some of these other writers. Are they getting in their own way by considering themselves historians of the game, like almost like custodians of the history of the game and, and saying, you know, I don't want to give this guy, I don't want to put him on the same perch as Bird uh, and the other and the other three-time winners if he's not valuable enough to win the title. I think ultimately I do side with you that probably not. I, I don't think it's... Uh, I don't think that's what the award is for, but I, I think that's kind of where they're where they're coming from. Yeah, I mean, it's just that's another like really ter- terrible <laughs> argument as well because it's kind of like, <laughs> well, were you the best player on the best team, and then also had you not won the two previous years, and then if you had won, had you won the title to also counter, you know, and it's like exactly. You know, you would need like a a very advanced algorithm to be able to kind of figure out all of the different permutations of what would what would uh, create a winner. But I mean, where people I think are going to look dumb is, and it's funny that Jordan's name comes up, but Jokic has the potential to be at the top of the league for what two, three, four years. I mean, I'm saying if everything breaks beautifully um they go on like a warriors like run porter jr kind of like becomes more clay thompson like um murray you know is obviously you know knocking the door like top 10 in the nba i would say um and he's probably already there if you're just looking at the playoff performances so if Jokic ends up being essentially 1a you know across the entire nba wins a title this year and maybe wins another one or two titles over the next you know, five years, people are going to look and be like, wait, what? Um, Embiid won one of those years? Like, what happened? And then they're going to oh, well, it was a thing where he had won two and everybody was really talking about it. <laughs> people are going to be like, what the fuck? What were you guys doing? Yeah. I Yeah. You're not going to get much of an, ar- of an argument from me. I, I think I tried to explain. And because we are um, somewhat, uh, we care about journalistic integrity on this, on this program, uh, Larry Bird, Wilt Chamberlain, and Bill Russell are the only players to win three consecutive titles or three consecutive MVPs. Pardon me. Um, so not even not even Jordan. Um, and that makes me. I, I think of the. Uh, I think Amin El Hassan once referred to it as the MVP redistribution program when they when they gave it to uh, Derrick Rose. <laughs> and like I think that's what you're what you're getting at here is where it's like, okay, so Jokic did it. Like people will look at Jokic's numbers and be like, and and maybe all time, look at his numbers, look at the, the titles he wins or whatever and be like, okay, I, I guess Embiid got it. But we also did see the games though. And like Embiid was a monster this year. So it's, I don't know if it's, I, and I don't think you're saying that like, um, you know, he, it's a farce that Embiid won. It's just, it's super close. And maybe, maybe some of these people arrived at the right answer for the, uh, using the wrong formula yeah that's a great distinction thanks for pointing it out yeah i'm really more arguing against people saying okay this guy cannot win the mvp this year because he you know the stupid ass like he hasn't won a title and all these um if statements anyway um 
I want to give us give ourselves another pat on the back. We didn't actually bet on this, but um, was something I called out. We talked about a couple of shows back. Jokic and Murray. Turns out they are the best duo in the NBA right now. I think we, you know, this is back way back in the day when we were thinking about Kawhi and PG and KD and Booker and you know Embiid and Harden and you know all those uh, players that used to be active. Um, <laughs> yes, and and now it looks like. Damn, they, they just kind of shot right up to number one. I don't know. Am I am I am I kind of seeing things or, or are these are these the new like uh one two? I think it's gotta be. I think, you know, Murray is such a special shot maker on his own. But and uh, you know, I think it's been talked about probably at length. My favorite argument on Twitter is the why is not a why are not enough people talking about this? And like you're okay, well thank you for talking about it. Like we are not we are talking about it literally right now. Um, but the, the chemistry, like the way Mm. when like Jokic on the pick and roll, Jokic just like threading these passes at, at different angles, at different spots. And Murray is always in the right spot. And it's, it's got like that kind of Draymond Steph feel to it where like, they're just, they kind of give each other a look and it's like, oh yeah, you're going that way. Okay. Let me just do this then. And it's just like everybody's on defense is off balance and terrified of what's going to happen next. And like, I know me and you have joked about it. Sometimes it just ends up in a wide open Aaron Gordon dunk <laughs> because everybody's <laughs> terrified of Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic. So, I mean, it's hard to argue the combination of both of their skills. So you have the two time MVP and then this amazing uh, scoring shot making player. Uh, but then they're also in absolute lockstep with each other. Uh, it, it's hard to argue. Yeah, I think that's the thing that like Brown and Tatum don't have. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like w- when you see that dribble handoff and Jokic gives the handoff and then just kind of like lays a nasty screen. You know, just with like a like a little kind of like quarter rotation, just right on the money and just buries you know yep. whoever's trying to come around to chase Murray. It's just so nasty. And then Murray is just like kind of like floating on air, nice seventeen footer, super silky. And you're just like, damn, these dudes were like made to kind of play with each other. And, you know, they're both still relatively young. And I think that's the thing with Jokic. He's still 28 years old. You wouldn't tell by looking at him, but he's definitely is an athletic prime. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. There's a really, really good chance that he kind of is the guy. And um, things just kind of look silly. And it was really um, telling watching him go against LeBron. You know, the sweep, whatever, that was kind of halfway interesting but you're watching Jokic him just kind of bullying dudes get into the basket you know taking a page out of LeBron's book even kind of going directly at LeBron with that move you know so it's not just the playmaking the passing it's funny when like a a possession ends with like a Aaron Gordon just catching a lob it's also funny when Jokic is looking around and it ends with him just being like oh well Right, I'm just gonna shoot a three from the top of the break because you know nothing, nothing better out of here. And he just like buries it. It's just like holy, like holy fuck! Like what are we supposed to do against this guy? Yeah. So I think I don't know. I think they, I think they're definitely, definitely at the very top in terms of a duo. Just like you said, just because of the way that they're able to play off each other, and just individually, the brilliance. You know, obviously having the MVP as one of the two doesn't hurt. And now they're just four games away from a championship. It does feel like Denver's title to lose. Um, we've we've discussed the Celtics and the Heat, uh, and I, I won't. I won't. Unless you want to play, do you want to play the guessing game of the champion 
odds of the of the odds to who wins the title and the order in which these odds are are delivered. Yeah, I'm down. This is for the season. Uh, yes, yeah, for this season. So um, okay. So I'm. I gotta say, Denver's probably minus two twenty five. Not far off, my guy. Denver minus one eighty. All right, so they're still giving Boston a little bit of respect, but Boston would be more likely to beat Denver. So I would, I think I would say Boston would be plus two seventy-five. We're getting good at this. See, this we we're going to start winning a lot more bets. Boston is plus two ninety-five. Okay. All right. All right. I'm not, not feeling so bad about myself. Uh, and then I think that puts probably the Heat at plus three seventy-five. Plus five fifty. They're up three two oh. in the conference finals with a game at home, with the best coach in the league and the second or the best or the second best player in the playoffs. Plus five fifty to win the title. Hmm. <laughs> Just no. Uh, a very young person's reference, Rodney Dangerfield. No respect for the Heat, man. This is. I mean, it's kind of outrageous. You know what I kind of like that. If the Heat come out and look great game six, that plus 550 is going to shrink to plus 185, plus 200, just from one game to the next. Right. And then again, you can always go with Denver in the series to kind of like rebalance things. Um, damn, plus 550. I don't have any championship odds. I, so I, I, I might have to get myself, <laughs> sub myself back in here. Well, I, I I believe we both weeks ago the soothsayers that we are we both have the Nuggets plus four hundred to win the title back on May fourth ancient history me and you looking into the crystal ball saying I think the Nuggets are good enough to win the title and uh, it would appear we were correct yeah that was a dart <laughs> we we knew it had it the whole way I think we got to go in on this Heat plus five fifty it seems like the right thing right okay let me take it let, let me call a twenty second timeout here. So, for those listening at home, you've alluded to our losses. It's it's been worse than, <laughs> than even we've mentioned. So suffice it to say that both Grant and I are both pretty rattled here. And um, even though this could be a great bet, could be a terrible bet, neither of us have any fucking clue. But hey, I think it sounds sounds exciting. And um, you know, like you said, we've got Denver on the other side, so. I think we can have some fun with, with Heat plus 550. Yeah, I'll, I'll roll with it. I, I'm going to do it. I'm in. I'm in. All right. We're taking the leap together. Yeah. Bark it down. Your 2023 NBA champions will be the Boston Celtics. You heard it here first. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was just going to say, these fucking leprechauns are going to get us, man. Oh, I hate them. I just find myself looking at all of their fans <laughs> during the telecast just to kind of like hate look at them. Um <laughs> But I think the season will be over on Saturday night. So what do you think happens if they lose game six? So they're in such a weird spot. I was actually thinking about this. Um, and I know you've you've been in positions like in your uh, day job and in your career where it's like you're making personnel decisions. And I was just kind of thinking about like if I was Brad Stevens, so we lose. We lose to the eight seed, but they have this um, – you know, just this dog of a player and in Jimmy Butler. And then we have to face off against Bam Adebayo and like Gabe Vincent shooting 50% from three. And you're just like, okay, we lost. But everybody's going to call 
for you to fire your coach. But you're the guy who hired a 34-year-old who has no head coaching experience of note and wasn't even on, didn't even sit on the front side of the bench last year. He was a second row coach. Um, and so, okay, everybody wants you to fire him. So you lose in the Eastern Conference Finals and you fire him, which I think then everybody has to look at you and go, so he had no room to grow. You hired a 34-year-old in his first head coaching <laughs> job with, an, with a, a team that went to the finals last year. And your standard was him to make it to the finals or win the finals or he's fired. And I just think that's a really bad look if you're if you're Brad Stevens. So I, uh, well, I don't know, like coaching talk, how interesting that is. But I just think from a from an executive standpoint, it's like, I don't know, man, you kind of put yourself in a super weird spot here. Yeah, I think I think he did put put himself in a bad spot um, just because they're clearly visibly not as good as they were last year. Mm-hmm. And they added Malcolm Brogdon. Yeah. And you could say, oh, okay, Udoka, and uh, he had those guys, yada, yada, whatever. But like the team's not as good, you know, and if you've got Tatum ascending, Brown ascending, um, and you added a piece like Brogdon and, you know, young guys are getting a little older, you know, Derek White, I think was a mid season, you know, addition last year. Yep. So he's got a full year. Um, in theory, things should be, you know, better Robert Williams, who is like injured most of the the big games of last playoffs as well. He's been playing. Um, and they're just they're they don't look as good. They don't look like a team that would beat a Denver. You know, they don't really look like a team that is gonna win this series, you know, outside of um I think game game four, they played a lot better than they did game five. But I think you have to kind of start looking maybe even deeper than Missoula. Um, and just thinking about like essentially just roster construction at the top. And it's not really like a sports talk, you know, hot take radio where it's like, all right, well, Jalen Brown, we Tatum, whatever. We, we just talked about Jokic and Murray. And when you see those two guys playing off each other like that, and you never see Brown and Tatum <laughs> in that, in any kind of rhythm anywhere near that, yeah, you know, it just makes you kind of wonder like, what are we doing? And I kind of made a note to myself, you know, you talked about Tatum and his kind of mama mentality. I think that's kind of like the worst blueprint that he can take, you know, because Kobe, you know, isolated himself, you know, from his teammates, even from his fellow, you know, co, you know, co-star Shaq, Gasol, whatever, you know, to me, that's like the worst blueprint. You know, you could just look a couple of years earlier and maybe look at more of like a Jordan Pippen kind of blueprint, you know, and think about, you know, just basically like how to construct your game around another, you know, superstar. I think, I think Jalen Brown is at that level, but I think fundamentally you got to look at, okay, this team might be going in the, in the opposite direction. I'm with it. And uh, this is the last like coaching thing I'll say is that like, I, I do think that um, I think it was again, Simmons who pointed out like they don't even have like vets on the coaching staff who might be able to help with stuff like that. Like, um, you know, uh, you know, uh, whoever will Hardy, like he wasn't a vet, but like, he's clearly a pretty good coach who went to Utah. Um, and they don't like, there's no old guy who used to be a head coach sitting on the bench with Missoula who can like, kind of like be like the sage, 
who kind of gets to bounce ideas off of. But to your to your Jalen Brown point, and this might just be a function of me growing up in a place. This is where I get to take a free shot at Boston, where I also grew up in an ugly city where NBA players don't really want to live. It's just we didn't have Bill Russell in the '60s, so nobody. So of course we're not a basketball like legacy team like the Celtics. But I'm all. I think you're right about these, like looking at things in the margins and trying to get those two to play together, because I am always, always, always like when people are like, "Oh, uh, you know, should this player should Giannis go play for the Lakers or like even OKC? Like, should they trade Durant before he leaves in free agency?" And my mentality is always. No, like if I if I live in a city, if my team plays in a city where people, I'm not going to get free agents. And I think, you know, the, the Celtics have got like two good free agents over several, two superstar free agents over decades um, in Gordon Hayward and Kyrie Irving, and neither of which worked out. Um, I would not get rid of Jalen Brown under any circumstances because I, I drafted him and I'm not going to be able to get a player of his caliber to come play for my team in my my city where people with bad weather and rich young people don't want to live in. Um, so I, I like I always, always push back when people are like, oh, maybe they should just trade him. Like, no, I have a good player. You have to take that play that good player out of my cold, dead hands. And it's cold because it's always <laughs> my hands are cold because it's always freezing in my crappy city. <laughs> yeah, Boston does suck. Awful. Awful. Let Let's hop over across the pond uh, and talk some football. We can we can kick things off, off with a recap. Um, I don't know. How did we do last week? You know what? I, I It's hard for me to even get too mad at these. Like, we admitted last week our, our – we got – we went a little uh, – we played a little fast and loose with the math uh, with Arsenal two weeks ago uh, when we had our goal scorer bets. And we're like, yeah, well, if this guy scores – Gabby Jesus might score. Uh, that that's what really kind of uh, took a big chunk out of uh, well, what used to be profitability. But last week we had Nottingham Forest and Arsenal to draw. Not a super enjoyable game to watch. <laughs> um, no. <laughs> and so you know, I'll I'll just toss. Um, I would not dare to compare myself to Nikola Jokic, but let me just throw you the pass. As an Arsenal fan, I don't feel terrible about this because I feel like the draw was live, but they Arsenal loses 1-0 to Nottingham Forest. Please, the floor is yours as our Arsenal fan and expert. It, it, it's so bad for a couple different reasons. I mean, I think, you know, <laughs> betting betting the draw was my kind of way of saying, you know, we're going to win this game, but if something goes terribly wrong and we draw, I'm going to make some money off it. Mm-hmm. At no point did I think that Forrest was actually going to win this match. Um, and just, I, well, let me rephrase. Not at no point. As soon as I started watching the match, I was like, oh shit, Forrest is going to win. <laughs> uh, yes. So I can't, I can't actually say at no point. There were lots of points where I thought Forrest was going to win. Sadly, they were after the match started. Um, yeah, like I said, I mean, I think, I think they're just really, really running on fumes, um, and I think there's, I don't want to say there's tape on them, you know, but they're just not really um, pressing in the same way. I think 
it, it reminds me of a moment kind of like in the Amazon series, the all or nothing where Arteta is like really yelling at these guys and saying like, you have to get, you know, essentially these 50, 50 balls. Like this has to be in our DNA where there's a ball it's ours. We're getting it, you know? And when they were really rolling, you know, you really kind of saw that shine through. Now the injuries start to pile up, you know, some draws, some losses, you fall behind city, you know, the, the Premier League title is gone, although it's still a great season. Um, and I don't think they those guys can like really summon, you know, the energy. And it, it really <laughs> burns doubly bad because I think for the last couple of weeks I've been talking about Forrest and being like, yeah, you know, teams like this that that come up, they they tend to get their signature win against a top six team. And again, this one bit me in the ass again. Top six team ended up being my team. Um, and they actually won the match. It was gross, but, you know, a 1-0 loss. Like, you know, just Arsenal on talent. Uh, Nottingham Forest scores in the first 20 minutes of the match, and I was just like, okay, guys, just on talent. Somebody could goddamn chest the ball into the goal on accident. Like, we can get this draw, and you're like the heavy legs. Um, yeah, couldn't couldn't get across the finish line. But like you said, I am – I. it's a super successful season. I dismiss people being like, oh, they, as they say in England, they bottled it. Um, Manchester City won 15 Premier League matches in a row. Um, we, we won the title. Arsenal did not give us the title. Uh, now, granted, one of those 15 matches that we won was a pretty uh, demonstrative victory over Arsenal. But either way, like that is hard to withstand when just the flying death machine is operating at full capacity for 15 weeks in a row. Um, hard, hard to think that anybody really had a chance in those circumstances. You know, we talked about like kind of like the injuries kind of catching up. And the, the thing about it, like, you know, this is, I think this, is, this might be the last time I mentioned this Libra injury this year, but an injury like that, that pushes everybody out of their comfort zone. You know, now Gabrielle has to run, you know, two thirds of the field instead of half the field. Yep. Um, same thing when Jesus went out. You know, when Jesus goes out, Saka and Martinelli on the wings were awesome. Yep. You know, and, and Odegaard in the middle, like definitely picked up the slack. But then you see it wear on those guys. You know, you mentioned the loss to City. By that time, they were already gassed. You know, like that that game pretty much. You know, we talked about kind of like the effort, and you could really see it in the difference between how well they were playing. And basically how they look every single week, week in, week out, basically from the 33rd game on. The loss of Saliba cannot be overstated. I think you're 100% right there. And like I know I had um, compared him to a guy like like Vincent Company or Virgil van Dijk. And again, I, I say with the caveat, I realize those are two of the greatest defenders in the history of the Premier League. But like he is a big, hulking, fast, super smart um, great passer who could play the ball from the back and, and build your offense. I mean, that guy, you lose him, uh, you are in a rough spot no matter how good your club is, no matter how deep you are. Yeah, and then there's just a trickle down from there. For sure. Uh, but then it got worse. <laughs> then it was my turn to be like, wait, we'll bet on my boys. My boys are indestructible. Of course we'll win. Um and shame on me too, because I think when we had talked about our our Premier League side pieces, I had, weeks and weeks ago, I had mentioned like uh, I'd been to Brighton. It's a it's a really cool city. It's like a beachfront uh, city. 
um, it's kind of like a, I don't, I don't even know. I want to say it's like, it's got a little bit of like Coney Island, but much nicer, <laughs> like way nicer though. Um, like good vegan food and stuff. And so like the vibes are excellent there. Um, and so city versus Brighton at the Amex as they like to call their, their field. Um, and so we, you know, we had talked about it day of the game, um, you know, dream season for Brighton. Uh, but then the the lineup comes out, and this is where my FIFA brain comes in. And our lineup has Holland up top, and our midfielders were Mares. I think going from right to left, it was Mares, De Bruyne, Silva, Foden, and I was like, "Ooh, baby, this is the lineup I wanted to see! Like the creativity." Um, the fluidity, like this is going to be great. We're going to, we're going to score fucking three goals today. Um, and they were only minus one Oh five. And, you know, I thought we're, we're going to be able to win the game. Um, and I, you know, in the, where it was around like the 25th, um, you know, Holland gets a free run down the middle. He's one V one versus the keeper, but because he's a, a big Viking genius himself, he just dishes it off to our diamond, Phil Foden, who just tucks it away in the corner. Let's go, buddy. We're up 1-0. All we need is a straight victory. Um, you know, we're the champions. We're coming off this high. Uh, we're scoring. And again, and, and I thought before the game, I was like, we're scoring three today. <laughs> Phil scores one in the 25th. I'm like, mm, might be four. <laughs> uh, and, we, and we looked mighty. But even then, at that point, um, to, to quote our boy uh, <laughs> Stephen A. again, uh, Roberto De Zerbi, uh, Brighton's manager, and them boys, um, they came, they were out there, man. I thought it was really cool. Like, they were running right at us. They had a lot of, like, Real Madrid in the first leg of the Champions League where they are just like, okay, like, that's that's your game. Then we'll just do, we'll kind of do something similar. We're not afraid. If we give the ball back to you, um, we're sturdy enough in defense to kind of withstand at least most of your your counterattack. So we'll run right at you. And then in the 38th, Julio and CISO, who I think just in passing, when me and you were talking last week, uh, the uh, Paraguayan wonder kid, uh, I had mentioned, like, I was like, and CISO, he's a good player. You're like, yeah, he's good. And like, we had just kind of like mutually agreed out last week. <laughs> Hits a fucking all timer into the corner. And obviously, we had our backup keeper, Stefan Ortega, in the, in the match. I don't give a shit who's playing keeper. Nobody is saving that. Uh, so let me pause for a minute. Just the way he dribbled, the way he shot, where are you at on that? I mean, just filthy. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And, you know, we talked we talked about it last week. That guy is going to – he's going to have some moments. Dude. I mean, he's got a ceiling. Just the way he, what he's able to do in big games, I think, is the most exciting piece. Dude, yeah, looks great, super fast, clearly a genius on the ball. And then if you're able to hit hit strikes like that, and I, I, I was a big fan of the announcer during the game. Who and I love this quote. He bangs it in. Obviously, the announcer goes insane, and he screams. That's his first goal at the Amex. And he might never score a better one. <laughs> and I was like, ooh, good line, boy. That's that's nicely done. Um, and yeah, I mean, and then from there, 
there were plenty of uh, Brighton had plenty more chances. Um, they had twenty shots, uh, seven, seven of them on target. So let me just throw you some fun facts real quick. Uh, twenty shots is the third most ever against a side managed by Josep Guardiola. Uh, Atletico Madrid once had twenty-two shots uh, back when Pep coached Barcelona in two thousand nine. And uh, Wolves actually uh, took 21 shots uh, against City in 2019. Um, so that's, I mean, something to hang your hat on. It shows something for the aggression that, that Brighton played with the entire game. Uh, they also had 2.37 expected goals um, in the game, which is the most City has allowed in all competitions this entire season. Oh. Um, and my favorite part about that statistic is it's, ju- it's uh, you know, one – one hundredth of a percent uh, XG more than Leicester. Leicester had two point three six XG against us in match week thirty one. We won that game three to one. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, just a super impressive, just aggressive showing. And it, you know, when we're betting these games, I always feel like I kind of go back, like you said, like obviously with the hedge, you look back, you're like, oh, I should have thought about that. I am so mad at myself for not more heavily considering that in Brighton's dream season, that was their last home match of the year. Mm. And I just like as as soon as that as soon as that dawned on me, I was like, ooh, gross. Okay. <laughs> I don't love that. But again, like even when Phil scored in the twenty fifth, I was like, we could still bang home three or four. Like we can get this done. But yeah, they they just had a good run and uh, there were mo- there were multiple moments in the match, and the the commentators were mentioning it, where Pep and Deserby were just like looking at each other and giving each other like wry smiles, like "All right, I see what you're doing over there, buddy." <laughs> and like, uh, I think there there's like instant respect there. Brighton's a team that's coming, and um, they've been able to reload even with them um, them selling off some of their players. So, yeah, it just sucks that we're on the wrong side of that one, but. Safe to say that we're ready. This is the last weekend of the Premier League season. A lot of fun matches on deck. Some some spreads that, dare I say, look a little tasty. I agree. I I think we should get into a couple of these. All right. Now let me just say, with the championship wrapped up, you're gonna have to indulge me. I would imagine this has been done. I can't be the first person who's thought of this. You know, we talk about it again. I'll mention it again. I'm a labor organizer. I take my job very seriously, but I think w- one thing that would is clear evidence that I am somewhat of an unwell person is that when I'm not very focused on my job, the amount of my brain space that has been occupied with me saying relegators mount up in a Warren G voice <laughs> for the relegation battle is just insane. Like, I've listened to the song. The song's been in my head. I think about it every... I have thought about it every year that I've cared about English Premier League football. (laughs) That every... And so let me just say, it was a clear black night, a clear white moon. (laughs) Warren G was on the streets trying to consume some Premier League bets. Well done. Well done. Oh, my God. That was beautiful. I thought you might enjoy that. I do. I don't tell you, man. I don't know what's wrong with me, but that just every single year I think about this. Oh, it's perfect. Now it's going to be stuck with me forever too. So appreciate it. Thank you for that. Mm-hmm. 
Where do you want to start? So let's talk about the relegators. Um, so let's start with Leeds at home versus Tottenham. Leeds is plus 170. Tottenham is plus 140. Leeds has to win and then get some help to even stay in the Premier League. Um, and when I say they need some help, let me tell you what has not been helpful. Their defense has been pretty awful since our boy Big Sam has taken over. Uh, if my maths are correct, uh, they have allowed more than 7, 7.1 XG in their last three games since he took over. Mm. Um, they're going to need to try to score goals, and that's going to leave them vulnerable in defense. And if you are trying to score goals and you have Sonny and Harry Kane running back at you on the counter, that might not go great. Tottenham is plus 140 on the road. I think that's a little tasty. But then I have to trust Tottenham again. <laughs> and I almost wonder if the Tottenham draw no bet at minus 130 is better value because they might screw it up and draw because everybody hates playing for Tottenham. And so I, I want to hear where you're at to see if you could talk me out of making a bad mistake here. So this one's a mess. It is. <laughs> this was a straight up mess. Um I think Leeds is getting relegated, right? So, I mean, they, they've just looked like um, a team that hasn't been able to get anything together. Um, the vibes are not good at Leeds. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> so so this is usually the game, right, in, um, in the final weekend where a team like Tottenham is just up 2-0, you know, after like 16 minutes and – it, you know, it, it's pretty clear that Leeds is not going to have the storybook ending. All the help that they have to get, you know, in the other matches, totally moot point. Um, so that's usually how this game goes. But now the team on the other side is Tottenham. Exactly. Who is just dog shit. Like, they just, <laughs> they suck. Like, they don't care. They don't want to play together. You know, Romero wants to get himself thrown out of every game. Um, they don't really have a manager, or they do have a manager. Harry Kane's leaving. He's not leaving. Um, they just are an absolute train wreck. So you could see them losing 2 or 3 nil, and just being like, fuck it, who cares? Or you can see kind of Harry Kane, you know, doing the whole, you know, one last great showing in his Tottenham shirt and, you know, patting the logo and doing all that, you know, like doing all that stuff. Um so I'm, like I said, this game's a total mess for me. I can see all three scenarios, um, and I don't feel good about any of the scenarios. So this this one feels like an absolute stay away, even though there's some 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 tasty st- stuff to kind of sniff around with this one. Exactly, and and Tottenham still has the opportunity if they were to win, and Aston Villa either draws. Brighton or loses, then Tottenham would qualify for the Europe, Europa Conference League. So they would still get a a, a, a spot in Europe to play. Um, but that doesn't make me trust Tottenham anymore. <laughs> like, oh yeah, the stakes are big. Tottenham's going to come through. <laughs> Why do I think that? And so uh, all your points are right about Romero, about Kane, and you know I know I talk about him a lot. Uh, fairly often, but free Sonny, man. Just go, like let Sonny go to a team that's actually functional. He just seems like such a nice fella. I just want him to go be happy somewhere. This would just be rough to watch as a fan, <laughs> but it feels like him in Liverpool would be Oof. 
Oof. a really just nice pairing. Like get him in Liverpool, like open things up, let him run around, let him do sunny stuff. Um, and then also kind of like fill, fill that space that um, I think they're still looking for like the Sadio Mane kind of replacement. I'm not still, still not sure why they don't play for me no more, but Sonny would feel really nice over there. Yeah. Oh man, don't speak that into existence, buddy. Yeah. And we, Bobby Firmino is going to leave after this season, so um, yeah, I, I would, I would, I think that would be nice for my pal Sonny. But I don't, as a City fan and you as an Arsenal fan, I don't think we super want that. Yeah. No worries, man. I'll cut it out. <laughs> <laughs> Never happened. <laughs> Never happened. Um, yeah. Tottenham still sucks. Yeah, All right. Moving on. Th- this one. This one I had jotted down for find the draw. Leicester, West Ham. You know, just two kind of middling, mediocre kind of seasons. Um, definitely some stakes, but um, you, you were also looking at this one from a different angle. What What do you expect here? Okay. You're Leicester City. <laughs> now, I, have, I don't uh, have any uh, love for Jamie Vardy. Um, he doesn't seem like a very nice guy, to be honest. Um, obviously, I think you know some people might recall there was a video of him uh, bandying about and uh, that an awful Asian slur years and years ago. And ever since then, I'm just like, yeah, you know what, kind of fuck this guy. Um, mm. But like, if you if you and the butt is not a defense of him, just to be clear. <laughs> Let me get that out of the way. <laughs> but if you're Lester, you're like, we won the goddamn Premier League less than a decade ago. We won the Premier League seven years ago. We're not getting relegated. (laughs) Like, we have to win this game. West Ham is just on the beach, as I believe they like to say over in England. They're comfortably uh, sitting on 40 points, and they have their... And I think I actually, speaking of uh, us being uh, on journalism... Having journalistic principles, as I mentioned earlier, me fact-checking myself, I think uh, last week in passing, I referenced that West Ham was in the Europa League final. They're in the Europa Conference League final. Forgive me, the Europa Conference League has existed for roughly 15 minutes. Um, and so <laughs> I, I just got to use them interchangeably. But yes, West Ham, they play in the Europa Conference League final, not this coming Wednesday, but the next Wednesday. So it's not like they need to be like, oh, let's win this game and keep our momentum. I feel like they're just, if you're West Ham, you're like, okay, nobody get hurt. Let's rotate some dudes in. Let's, you know, maybe get some burn for, for 45 minutes. Um, and, and let's get out of this game unscathed. And then let's go win a fucking championship match in Europe. And, you know, people can, uh, obviously, I guess I was a little flip about the European <laughs> Europa Conference League. But still, that's a you get a trophy for winning that. Um, yeah, and so I think they might be looking ahead, and I feel like that's a little baked into the price here with West Ham at, at plus two fifty and Leicester at minus one hundred five. Because if you just look at if you just watch these teams play, and you know even me being a David Moyes guy, um, West Ham is way better than Leicester, um, but they just don't have anything to play for. So I think. I lean Leicester, but they're also just so bad on defense <laughs> that uh, that I could see West Ham winning. Um, or, as you pointed out, it might be worth discussing later and find the draw. All right. So let's put a pin in that one. Mm-hmm. Um, one more relegation relevant battle. 
That would be Everton versus Bournemouth. In hmm. uh, well, I, I I would deem this a an aesthetically pleasing uh, matchup uh, or uh, an aesthetically pleasing uniform matchup. Pardon me, I like the colors both these squads. Um, I don't I don't think anything else about it is going to be aesthetically pleasing. Um, <laughs> I have a terrible joke written in here that says Everton more like everybody is hurting, um, which is just awful. Maybe cut that out. I don't know. <laughs> um, staying in they are, yeah that's fair I earned it um, Dominic Calvert-Lewis not going to play um, and I know he's missed like a third of the season but he's pretty much their best striker um, let's take a look here let's let's rattle off some of their uh, some of their um, fullbacks who aren't going to play um, Mika Linko uh, who has played? Uh, who has appeared in 34 games? Seamus Coleman uh, appeared in 23 games. Nathan Patterson has appeared in 19 games, and Ben Godfrey, who's appeared in 13 games, all hurt. They don't have, and likely not to appear. Um, Sean Dyche did not seem necessarily uh, optimistic about any of them playing. So they're going to have a makeshift back four, um, and they got to win. Um, so, needless to say. Things are looking grim at Goodison Park. Mm, uh, mm. And I just don't know. Like, So you don't have anybody to score, and you're going to be relying on you know, your depth. And uh, spoiler alert, Everton doesn't have a lot of depth uh, at, at the fullback position. So I think if I were to bet anything, honestly, I think I might take Bournemouth plus 500. Like just a, maybe a sprinkle. Um, wow. but I think my, and cause I think Everton's going down. Um, mm. and, and so I know you, you pointed out leads. So just uh, to allow me to finish the bit here. Now they drop it and yelling. It's a tad bit late. Sean Deitch and big Sam, they had to relegate. <laughs> oh, I love that. I, I'm with you. I, I think, I think I agree with you. So I think we both think that. Leicester's not getting relegated. Um, and maybe of Everton and Leeds, who do you think is the most likely to get relegated of those two? I do. Th- I still think Leeds. Right. Okay. So Leeds, is a, they're gone, right? So let's just mark them as relegated. That for me kind of puts the Tottenham plus 140 back in play because it does kind of feel like, you know, come, you know, 80th minute, it's really going to be about Leicester and Everton and who's going to grab that final spot. Yeah. Right. So that means Tottenham's like pretty juicy. And then if you think about Leicester, Leicester does feel like they're going through, like you said, Everton's got, you know, kind of like Everton's got kind of things stacked against them at the moment. So Leicester might be a good play as well. You know, minus one Oh five to win outright. Cause like you said, you can see them kind of taking care of business. Um, just the, the, they've got the easiest path and they probably have you know the biggest advantages depth wise squad wise form wise now I don't I, I would imagine a man who loves math like you a man who uh, as I recall took the Minnesota Timberwolves to possibly win the Western Conference let's play a little game here so if we were to build something for a little sprinkle, sprinkle, 
what if we took Tottenham to win at plus 140, and then we took Leicester to win at minus 105? Uh, that would be plus 368 in a two-pick parlay. Wow. Um, that one feels real good. <laughs> it's interesting, right? Uh, yeah, I'm taking that one. All right, we do it. We're doing it. We're doing it. Okay, we're doing it. You know what? It's week 38. Like, <laughs> we gotta leave it all on the court here. That's true. So a little sprinkle, sprinkle, plus 368. Check the doc; it'll be on there. Um, that one definitely feels like a win. Okay, what else we got? You said you had a couple more that you liked. So I'll get. I've got some stuff coming up here, so I'm, I'm interested to see you know what else you had on the board. I like it. So. Newcastle is plus 135 against Chelsea. Now, it's at Stamford Bridge. I do not care. Chelsea is dead. They are deader than dead. They have, they've hired their boy, Mauricio Pochettino. Welcome in, Poch. You've been hired, but somehow Frank Lampard is still managing. Um, you're not like... Nobody can get a super clear answer like, are you at training? Are you at the training grounds? Uh, are you? Are you not? Who knows? Um, Frank Lampard will never, ever, 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 ever manage a Premier League team ever again. They got decimated by Manchester United uh, just yesterday, 5-1. to one. And I believe if I read correctly, um, and I will fact check this uh, when I pass it over to you, but um, I believe Manchester United had... More than five, I think they had like 5.2 XG in the game, which I believe is the uh, highest number in a Premier League game since the statistic was invented in 2014. Um, They don't care. They don't want to play. It's it's one two three Belize for all of those guys. They're not they're not showing up. They're going to the Mykonos Islands wherever they're going. It ain't gonna be in London at Chelsea anymore. I feel like baked into this price is, yeah, Chelsea is at home. They want to try to end the end the campaign on somewhat of a solid note, and Newcastle has nothing to play for. Well, if you're Newcastle and you haven't been super relevant since Alan Shearer was your, was your headlining player uh, when I was a child, um, I would say, I would suggest battering Chelsea in the last uh, match of the year and finishing third in the Premier League over Manchester United and it's not like you have to – it's not like, oh, okay, you got to keep these guys locked in for several weeks to do this. You got, you got 90 minutes today, boys, and you, you win this game. You destroy this team that you are obviously better than, and you, you finish the season ahead of Manchester United and your Newcastle, and we're back, baby. And so I think they're going to win. I think they're going to win convincingly. And plus 135 is too tasty for me. I'm sick of this losing streak. I'm sick of looking at the dock in in this negative number. I'm putting two units on it. And I think Newcastle smashes these dudes. Uh, I don't like this one. (laughs) Yes. Tell me why. I fucking love this one. (laughs) We're back. I'll tell you why. I, I, I made a note of this one. As I was kind of like, this is even before I looked at the schedules for this week. And I, you know, I love to kind of play this game where I I just kind of like bet the narrative, right? Because so often that's what ends up playing out. And 
before I looked at the schedule, I'm like, okay, whose season was this? Mm. You know, and you can kind of make a case for Arsenal, kind of make a case for City, but you know, you know, Arsenal kind of petered out at the end. City's got their eyes on other stuff, sort of anticlimactic, you know, winning of the championship this year. Congratulations, by the way. But, you know, when you win essentially what another team's losing and it's just kind of like table math, it's not the most exciting thing. And to me, this was Newcastle season. You know, a lot of stuff about, you know, who owns the team, sports washing. When you kind of look at it from a different angle, let's say, this is a proud team, proud tradition, you know, that's really kind of like back on the map. And this matchup specifically, so kind of like when I think about that, you know, you always sort of see the team that had like the magical season. You talked about it with Brighton, you know, getting the draw against City at home, kind of storybook, you know, ending. I think this becomes kind of like a real punctuator on their season. And it sort of reminds me of, you know, obviously I grew up in South Florida, big fan of college football when I was young. You know, you had the Miami Hurricanes, you had the, the Gators, you had the Florida State Seminoles, you know. They're in different conferences and they all kind of played each other and, you know, a lot of championships, you know, across the three schools over the 80s and 90s. Um, and watching them play head to head, those games were always a little bit higher stakes mm. because you knew high school kids were watching that game. You're like, okay, okay, Florida got Miami this year really bad. You know, that meant that they were going to get another four or five kids, right? And Newcastle, Chelsea has a little bit of that same kind of vibe you know two very rich clubs you know sort of like champions league aspirations for sure on both sides and they're going to be battling you know they're kind of in that same economic band you know going to be battling for players and i don't know if you're if it's this coming summer you're looking at those two squads going in very very different directions this is a real chance for newcastle to like you said like really obliterate them embarrass them this week um and that would just kind of be the perfect punctuation on both of their seasons, to be honest. I love it. That's a great, I mean, the comp between the Florida schools, that's just fantastic. That's you're a man after my own heart, you are linking uh, English Premier League to college football. Uh, two, two sports that I do believe are remarkably similar in a lot of ways and, and fan makeup and other things like that. Um, yeah, man. I mean, I, I feel like we're in lockstep on this one. I mean, if you're, if you're Newcastle, you just want to just put these dudes in the dirt. Yeah, absolutely. I'm not going to go two units because, you know, you know, things are getting very, very dangerous on this end. Things are getting a little hectic, you know? yeah. So, But yeah, I am going to go along for that ride. Newcastle plus 135, single unit for your boy. Um, anything else in the Premier League front that you were looking at? Yes, uh, I will try to be brief with this one. I mean, we gave Brighton their flowers. We gave them the love fest. Uh, they're plus 235 to beat Aston Villa. Okay, I know Aston Villa is at home. Uh, I know Aston Villa has a chance to qualify the, for the Europa Conference League. Um, but if you just look at these two teams play, Brighton's better. And I feel like um, their manager, Deserby, Brighton's manager, you know, after those those like little side eye glances that him and Pep were giving each other, those kind of like subtle nods to each other, like Pep being like, "Okay, dude, I see you, I see you over there." <laughs> I feel like Deserbi is is probably over there thinking, "Okay, we're we're gonna go, we're gonna play in in the Europa League next year." 
Uh, we They clinched that with their draw against City. And we're going to compete for the Premier League title next season. Um, I don't know. And this is one thing that I, I do sometimes fool myself um, with the Premier League, where sometimes I wonder, like, oh, could could this other club outside of the, quote, big six, could could they bubble up? That would be really rad if they could. And, like, again, you know, this is very myopic maybe um but brighton is a is a nice city on a beach like in england like i would like to live in brighton over maybe some other rainier shittier parts of england and i just wonder like do these dudes possibly have a couple more advantages uh than people than some people who don't live over there think and and you pointed out too they have been top-notch uh developing young talent and selling them off, I think they mentioned in the broadcast in the City game that uh, they made a hundred million dollars in profit off their transfers last year, and then they still finish in the top five in the Premier League. So, I I think they got something cooking over there, and I just feel like mm-hmm. Deserby and and everybody on the squad, and you could tell by the way they play in that like attacking, free flowing style that they're all just kind of locked in together. And there's just like a the, there are some like Miami Heat vibes where they're just like, oh yeah yeah, this ain't over. I, I'm sorry, there's still one more game on the schedule. You thought we just weren't going to show up today? No no no. We, there's a game today. We're going to win that game today. And I just think plus two thirty five, they they have a better squad than Villa, and they're and they're going to go in there and win. I love that. Yeah, and um, like you said, they've they've been looking really good. Big big difference in goal differential. Brighton's plus twenty. Villa is only plus four for the year. Um, So Villa is really kind of like squeaking, squeaking these games out. Um, You know, whenever your goal differential matches Tottenham also plus four, you know, you're in dire straits. Mm -hmm. Um, Damn, you might, you talked me into this one. I think I'm going to go with Brighton. I was a little, I was a little concerned about the, the short turnaround, but um, they do kind of have also that storybook kind of feel and, just offensively, they're so much more potent. Yes. And, you know, you mentioned Leicester before. Sure, they won the title, you know, on the, you know, basically riding Mares, Conte, and Vardy, kind of that trio. Um, sold off two of those guys, didn't really <laughs> replace them. And they still kind of trotting out Vardy, who's a much, much older, much slower, but still pretty, you know, still pretty feisty. Um, Leicester doesn't really, didn't really have that culture, but I think Brighton definitely have a different feel about them. You know, it looks like one guy moves on and two guys are ready to kind of take his place. Um, younger, less experienced, but you know, the potential still there. The excitement's still there. Sure. I think you talked me into it. I'm in on that one. Let's go. Plus two thirty five. Let's go. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not too unit confident about this one. I can with Newcastle, but uh, <laughs> I'm, I feel good about it. Wonderful. All right. So we're in and that leaves just one thing to do. Mm. And that's fine, the draw. Let's find it. All right. So I wanted to get a little funky with find the draw this week. Saturday, June 10th, there's a little matchup, Inter Milan against Manchester City. Okay. I'm not sure. I've heard of it. No, I'm just joking. (laughs) No, I'm just joking. That was going to be a walk up the Koi City. Um, No, there was only one match this week that caught uh, caught my eye. Actually, there was two. We we mentioned the first one, Leicester, West Ham. I think we kind of talked ourselves. around that one landed on Lester. Feel really good about that pick. Let's go. I'm kind of instantly regretting the fact that we, you know, <laughs> uh, latched that one onto Tottenham, but ah, whatever. I mean, nothing is set in stone just yet. 
it'll work itself out in the end. Yes. Um, find the draw though. We mentioned kind of like the storybook ending, and this just feels like for these two teams, their season's ending in a draw, and that's Crystal Palace and Nottingham Forest plus three fifteen in the money zone. I don't think either of these teams. I don't want to say really deserve a win. You know, Forest really got their big win against Arsenal. So um, don't really expect too much from them. Palace, super underwhelming this year. Just kind of not their year. Middle of the table, perfectly mediocre. Um, how does either the, how do either of these teams win this game? <laughs> I love that. Um, we can go back to uh, my boy. I love... The reason I, one of the many reasons I love doing this podcast with you is that it gave me the opportunity to uh, think about and write several things about Roy Hodgson uh, when he took over at Crystal Palace. And uh, props to Roy. Uh, Crystal Palace looked like they were going to be in the relegation battle. Um, and he, you know, helped drag them out of it. Now, he also uh, took over at Crystal Palace when they had a super soft part of their schedule. Which, uh, you know, I think in every sport, you have the new coach or the new manager bounce, and you try to time that with a soft part of the schedule. And so shout out to the, mm-hmm. the folks who run Crystal Palace for figuring that out. Um, but yeah, they're two wins, one draw, two losses in their last five. It just kind of seems who Crystal Palace uh, seems to be who they are. Um, I'm, I'm with you. Like, you got neither of these teams have nothing to play for. Nottingham Forest they kind of get they get the little buoy because of the Arsenal win. Uh, but then, so they get that little buoy where they're like, yeah, look at us. We can play a little bit. Um, but they also are like, and we're also safe. We get to keep cashing these Premier League checks. Um, and then Crystal Palace, you're just like, okay, 11th. Um, you know, that's fine. Uh, you know, we got Chelsea one point behind us, but it's not like they're going to win a football game. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think I'm with you on this. I think this is just kind of a, if, if a football game, 90 minutes of football could be a shoulder shrug, I believe that's what this game would be. <laughs> and that's, that's always what I'm looking for. Find the draw. I'm like, which, which is the game where neither of these teams really care. And they both get to leave and be like, Hey, good season guys. <laughs> and yeah. everybody just kind of walks away like, all right, let's go, let's go get a pint. Yeah, I could see them both kind of like clapping it up at the end, exchanging jerseys. We're both up. See you next year. Um, where were we headed? Belize? Love it. Let's do it. Yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> um, all right, so let's hit the recaps. I think we crushed it this week. So we've got big basketball game tomorrow. Heat plus 125 at home against the Boston Celtics. That is what you're taking, yes. correct? Love it. All right. You're also taking Heat and 7 plus 550, right? I'm going to hop on. With a half unit sprinkle. Half unit. Sprinkle, sprinkle on Heat and Seven. And then together, we're also taking the Heat to win the Jidal. Oh, yes. Plus 550 as well, right? Yes. We did the, well, you did the triple down. I've already, <laughs> um, the Heat to win the title. That's my triple down. So, uh, yeah, we're we're full on Heat culture. Um, so, like that said, I mean, you could pretty much uh, bank on the Celtics taking the title. So, sorry about that, guys. Um Again, bet responsibly. Uh, we're still sitting on the Denver Nuggets plus 400 to win the title on the Western Conference. So I think we've got some pretty good coverage and some good hedging opportunities. Um, if you missed my little primer on hedging, rewind back to, I don't know, the 20th minute mark, kind of went in on 
um, how much money I cost myself, but that's neither here nor there. To the Premier League, we uh, we got busy this week. Lots of picks. Um, remind me of the parlay that we put on the board. Let me pull up DraftKings because it's still staring me in the face. We got Tottenham on the money line. I just wanted—I know you said you were wondering about <laughs> me saying those words out loud. <laughs> Come on, Sonny. Sonny, drag these fucking bums. Um, I'll never forgive you, Harry Kane, for missing that penalty against France. It's all right. Fine. Whatever. Um, okay. We have Tottenham on the money line and Leicester on the money line, uh, which uh, equates to a plus 368. Lovely. Newcastle plus 135. Grant's coming out off the top rope with the two unit. I'm coming uh, in through the ropes in a more responsible fashion uh, with one unit, but we're both in the ring. Uh, Newcastle plus 135 at Stanford Bridge over Chelsea. And uh, we're both taking Brighton plus 235 to beat Villa. Really love the odds there. And um, God damn it, we're going to find the draw this week. Last weekend of the season, Crystal Palace, Nottingham Forest, plus 315. This one's got draw written all over it. And we're finally going to hit another one of these. End the season on a high note. That is the recap. Um, follow us on Twitter, at Tasty Spreads. Subscribe to the pod, wherever you listen to the podcasts. Um, could be Spotify, could be Apple, could be Google, could be Amazon. Uh, we're all over the place. Check the Google Doc. Um, it's a little icy, so bring a sweater. But not not to worry. We're going to warm up this week. And um, yeah, I think we did it. Thanks, man. Best of luck to you this weekend. Let me just say, we're down right now. So to quote the legends, I can't believe it's happening in my own town. If I had wings, I would fly. Let me contemplate. I glanced in the cut. And I see my homie, Nate. Rest in peace, Nate Dog. We're getting back on the winning train this week. <laughs> All-time beat. All-time rap beat. <laughs> All-time rap. All-time rap. Cheers. All right, see ya.